0: Bringing individuals to your team is such a multidimensional puzzle because you really do have to think, based on this person, will they be able to elevate other members around the team? Will they be able to create the right, I don't call it competitive structure, I call it the right dynamics, which causes a little bit of that storming anxiety so that people are trying to understand like, how do they work with this person? What can they learn? Because ultimately, if you bring the right people and you have also created the right culture in your team, the outcome should always be that everyone gets elevated. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual.
1: The way we work has changed forever. And highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bodgis, Editorial Strategy Lead of TopTal. My guest today is Stephen Tristan Young, Chief Marketing Officer of Poshmark. After graduating with an economics degree from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, Stephen went to work at Puma, American Express, DirecTV, and more. While serving as the VP of Growth for Grubhub, Stephen attended an executive education program at Harvard Business School. He is now a mentor to MBA students at Harvard Business School, as well as first-generation low-income LGBTQIA students at the University of Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for being here, Stephen.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Our pleasure. So tell us about what led you to Poshmark.
0: Sometimes it's an interesting journey, how we think about careers. I know people often talk about it being sort of a very linear path. But in fact, you know, as everyone's talked about, it's actually more of a zig and a zag and an up and a down. And for me, it really has been a journey over the last 15 years getting to a company that I am so happy to be a part of. I really feel like is in line with my values as a person, as a leader, also as a kind of company that needed the talents that I was bringing to the table. That actually wanted the ideas, the energy, and the passion that I brought to marketing. And so it just so turned out that right before I joined Poshmark, I actually had taken a year off after being at Grepa for almost seven years. And it was a really intense experience. It was my second tech company, one that I've also worked on and taken public pre and post. And I can tell you that seven years felt like 14 years. And it really was an incredible decision for me to, like I call step off the corporate treadmill, give myself a little bit of time to breathe and figure out what I wanted to do next. And in that, I ended up taking some time and traveling, spending time with friends and family. And it was probably one of the biggest risks I've ever taken in my life. And it's funny because when you sort of take those risks, you always wonder, like, what's on the other side? Like, how will I find the next company that I love? What I think it does is it just opens you to opportunity. It opens you to going through different doors that you may have thought were closed. It opens you to seeing what's on the other side of the mountain if I want to climb it and then maybe go back down and say, is there another mountain? And it just so happened that the way I ended up with Poshmark was actually on a roundabout way. I was interviewing at travel companies, which was a passion of mine. I was in line for a very um, strong CMO role from one of them. So I actually had a friend who I used to work with at Grubhub who actually was at Poshmark now. And he's the one I wanted to talk to about the opportunity in travel because he had been in travel in the past. And we had dinner and he actually said, you know, don't go to travel. It's not interesting of a business, low margins, highly consolidated. But have you considered joining Poshmark? And I was like, oh, not really. Pretty much close down to this path. I really want to be in travel. I just spent a year traveling. I wanted to follow this passion. But I realized that sometimes when you follow your passions, it may not be the place you actually want to work at. Because no, 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 I really want you to talk to my CEO when he's Chandra and let's get to meet him. And that was one of those seven moments. I could literally almost remember me sitting in the hotel room that night being like, hmm, do I open this door? Do I not open this door? And since I was reading really that mindset of just going through doors and opening it, I said, let's go walk through it. And it turned out to be actually the opportunity that really excited me, attracted even me even more. I felt the leadership passion from my CEO. And I was like, this is someone I want to work for. This is someone whose passion whose business. I also want to help blossom and come to life. And so... Ended up going down the path of an interview, ended up working out, moved my family from New York to the West Coast, and I think haven't looked ever since. And, you know, for me, it's funny when when you sort of take that time off and you get off the treadmill, unpack your life and actually just pause to breathe, to just explore and to also be okay with change you're more than willing to take a life change, like moving across the country, right? I think if you had asked me that in New York, like two years before I take my time off, I was like, no, no, I'm not leaving New York. I'm staying here. I've got a pretty good situation. But it's almost taking yourself off that pressure and giving yourself the room to explore and to make different choices. and to look what's around the corner what's under the door.
1: I want to talk about the roles that you have to fill in your position as CMO of Poshmark. Are there any e-commerce roles that are hard to fill or skills that you need that are hard to find? And what are you doing about that?
0: I think when I came in, I obviously assessed the team and looked at a lot of the different people who had been there for a while, people who were new to the team. And one of the things I realized is that obviously there was a lot of people who were really great at what they do. I had like a fantastic team. I was so blessed to be able to inherit a team that one knew what they were doing, highly metrics-oriented, also had a lot of depth and legacy and domain knowledge. But as I thought about, okay, how do we grow the team to the next level? How do we think about the business? Some of the roles, obviously, that are very difficult are, I think, really people who are what I call campaign strategists, like people who can, instead of just looking at the data, say, is there something I'm missing? Is there another innovation opportunity that I want to think about? Those who have a little bit more, I would say, the ability to take bigger bets and, and to kind of push the envelope, because I think that's the way you sort of gain incrementality. It's also really hard to find product managers, people who have really strong data analytics background, but also I would say people who are really good planners. Sometimes when you are, especially in e-commerce company, there's so many metrics but getting someone who can do that on a day to day basis, but also be able to step back and say, how do I want to think about the planning? How do I want to think about the strategy for how we want to invest our marketing dollars and allocate our capital, but also think about innovation? Those are all fundamentally three different gears of thinking and trying to find individuals who have some capacity or a different combination of those are ones that really attract me as individuals who I want to bring on the team.
1: How are you figuring out who has those unique skill sets when you're interviewing them? How do you suss that out?
0: for me, interviewing is three different things. One, it's looking at your background and seeing, you know, what kind of companies have you worked for? How have you made the decisions in terms of the companies that you've worked at, your progression, also your promotion capabilities? Number two, it's also about how you show up in the interview. You know, how prepared are you? How thoughtful are you in your answers? How do you think about the answers and listen to the questions I'm asking? And then finally, really trying to understand also, how does the team think about this individual? Because I think it's one thing to interview someone myself looking for one specific skill set. It's another thing to think about how will this person fit with the team? What was the dynamic in sort of the debrief? I like to look at all those things because ultimately, as a leader, one of the things I'm always trying to think about is how do I create structure and culture?
1: You've been involved in executive recruiting. Let's talk about that because it's so different than regular old recruiting. What is your approach to recruiting executives?
0: When people do executive recruiting, they often think, okay, here's all the reasons why I'm great. Why here's why you should hire me. The challenge when you think about it is like in in a pool of people that's being interviewed for executive roles, there's likely a high chance that everyone in that pool are all highly accomplished. They've all gone to the right schools, they've all done the right job opportunities, they've all succeeded and gotten promoted multiple times. So you're really competing in a set of people that I would say are equally accomplished. What I often tell a lot of my friends, especially who are interviewing, is don't overstate your career history and development. Like That's something that people almost go into the interview thinking, look how wonderful I am, look at everything I've done, versus saying, hey, here's how I've influenced the organization. Here are the lessons I've learned and the mistakes I've made. And here's also my leadership style and what I think I'm going to bring to your company. I think especially focusing on that last half is really critical because so many people fail to understand that the reason why a company's hiring you as an executive, you're separate from your domain knowledge, your, your brand and the things that you've accomplished, but also is like, how are you going to take your experience and help build the company or help grow the company? And that really, once again, speaks to a lot of your potential as a leader within this organization. And so I think it's important for people to really focus on communicating your management style. How do you think about setting and creating organizational vision? More importantly, like what are your principles and what are your ethics? Like what are the things that are important to you as a leader? Because at the end, you are the bar that is set against how your team behaves. You are the one that they're going to see what you do versus what you say. And they're going to follow that. And it's really important for people to have, I think, leaders who fit the ethos of how the company is going to function. If you want someone who's very metrics-oriented, driven, because that's the org, then that's what you should be looking for. If you want someone who's got better soft skills, who really thinks more about culture and coaching... And that's your culture, that's what you should aim for. And I think a lot of executives sort of don't really realize that this is equally an important part of the interview process, separate from, like I said, your resume and your CV and your accomplishments.
1: So, right now, and really always going forward, companies need really strong leaders from different backgrounds and with different kinds of abilities. How can companies find those individuals who are going to make their workforce richer and more diverse?
0: I think it comes through several ways, one of which is Presenting who you are as a company very clearly in the interview process or even in your LinkedIn, and then describing what your culture is. Right? Are you about results over people? Or are you one over people about results? Or are you one that's about a little bit of equal? Showing that, I think, clearly, whether it's in your marketing materials or your branding materials, is really the first step so that leaders who are looking at your role in your company can help decide, is this the kind of place for me? Number two, as you interview, one of the best parts is to Leverage your executive team and say, who have you worked with in the past? Who in your network would be great for this individual? It's one thing to have an executive recruiter trying to find someone. It's another thing to have also your team be very active. And I think that also means then that your interview panel, when you're interviewing executives, is beyond two or three people. It really becomes more of a potentially four to six panel so that there can be different perspectives coming to the table as far as that executive's ability and what I call their learning agility. And then number three, thinking also about how to develop a pipeline is that. You want to be networking. You want to be going to these events and speaking. You want to be talking about your company culture because that's when people learn about your business and learn about who you are, as, a, whether you're a CEO, you're a VP. And I often think when I go to these events, when I speak, a lot of it is about me recruiting people. If you know how I think, if you know how I lead, I'm hoping that there's someone in the audience that one day says, I want to work for that person, so that if an opportunity does come up, it actually facilitates that.
1: That's such good advice because I think companies are so focused on just having a very narrow approach to seeking more diverse candidates. And it's really this like holistic approach.
0: And I know diversity recruiting is something that everyone is like, it's such an important topic right now. I can tell you that when I was at American Express, I actually led a lot of our diversity recruiting, whether it was me attending the Black MBA conference, the Hispanic MBA conference, the Asian American conference. And there was a lot of intentional investment by the business to show, send leaders to those events, to actually create a pipeline of networking, which is why I think when you look at a lot of the the companies, like they're able to attract a lot of diverse candidates because they do invest in it, right? It's something that does not pay off immediately. But if you don't have someone who's intentionally actually thinking about what is our strategy to create the right perception for the business, our presence, you know, it's also funny. It's like, when you think about diverse, I always get this question like, well, how do you get the best diverse candidates? I'm like, go to your really talented employees who are diverse in the business and ask them, hey, what are some of the pipelines that you exist in? What are the networks that you exist in? Can you help promote this in your network? Great people attract other great people. And if you can leverage that and create that culture, then it means people want to bring others like themselves or who think like them, or who have the same diversity of background to the table. And I guess that once again, starts with one, espousing that as a value of the business, but two, making sure that you have everyone in the company helping to recruit, because it's not just it's not just the recruiting teams job to bring people in, it's everyone's job. Because that's how we create the best culture to work for.
1: And speaking of culture, so much of what hiring managers look at is around culture fit. But I know you're more interested in whether a candidate can elevate other people on the team Why is that the metric leaders should focus on? And how can you determine whether a candidate can offer that?
0: Culture fit is always such a loaded phrase because it's been used in so many different ways. And even I, I don't cringe. I know I, when I think about it, I think of it more as I'm designing a team terrible at sports. I had my specific sports. But when I think about really great sports teams, and I think about like a soccer team, or I think about a football team, and, and you bring in like a star quarterback, the goal in you know, let's, let's look at example of like Tom Brady, only because my partner is a big Tom Brady fan. <laughs> and he, Tom Brady was the kind of star quarterback that when you bring onto the team, it elevated everybody. Football isn't one person, but his ability to impact everyone else around him was fantastic. And when you think about even when you bring in hires, right? Are they a high leverage hire? Do they have a lot of skills? Are they going to be able to work with a lot of people? Are people in your team going to get along with this person, you know, him, her, and they? It's important to really think about that. It's a really difficult puzzle. This is where leaders have to spend a lot of time thinking about what is the culture and the structure and what is the mantra and what are the principles that build for the team? And when I'm looking at a candidate, it's important for you to have that lens of how will this person fit within this puzzle? And is it going to be a great fit? Meaning, they're all getting along. Is it the kind of fit where they're going to push certain people in the team and they're going to cause a little bit of doubt? They're going to cause a little bit of anxiety. I think that's what then everyone realizes oh, gosh, this person, they've got their act together. <laughs> they're coming in with a certain set of experiences and they're not messing around. I've got to get my stuff together in order for me to also make sure that I deliver and, and benchmark. And I often also say to people, whenever we bring in new leaders, whenever you feel anxiety over a new leader coming in, you ask, have to have to, is anxiety because it exposes your weaknesses? Is that anxiety because you don't know how to work with that person? Or anxiety is because you're excited, you know? And if you can think about each of those three things and sort of identify it, I mean, I want people to be excited. I want people to be like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna learn so much from that person versus, oh, that person's gonna show a lot of what my weaknesses are. But then the more you know your weaknesses, I always tell people the better off you're gonna be because then how can we help you overcome those weaknesses? Bringing individuals to your team is such a multidimensional puzzle because you really do have to think, Based on this person, will they be able to elevate other members around the team? Will they be able to create the right, I don't call it competitive structure, I call it the right dynamics, which causes a little bit of that storming anxiety so that people are trying to understand, like, how do they work with this person? What can they learn? Because ultimately, if you bring the right people and you have also created the right culture in your team, the outcome should always be that everyone gets elevated. Thinking about Tom Brady, you know, that to me is a great example of bringing someone in who fundamentally cares about working with others around the team and helping others. And I call that a high leverage hire. And that's something I always try to think about is when I want to hire someone, how do I find those individuals and how do I spend my time making sure those individuals are the right people to join my team?
1: When you are interviewing those potential candidates, how do you determine that they are going to be the Tom Brady for your team or the the Michael Jordan for your team? How do you figure out that they have the qualities to elevate everyone around them?
0: I've been an observer of teams of an observer of people. I ran a lot of recruiting events. I've interviewed so much. I, I think a lot of it is just building your pattern recognition skills and understanding the kinds of behaviors that you look for. It's not enough for me to just look at like, okay, person went to XY school, went to like ABC company. Like that's just, I think the first pass, right? The second part is in the interview, really trying to use that as an opportunity to dig deep and say, does this person indicate an ability to want to learn? Does this person have humility and recognizing where they've made mistakes? Does this person have the ability to be reflective and and give hindsight in terms of the things that they've learned and how they've evolved over that? Those are all, like I said, level three kinds of answers, level three kinds of thinking. And the more I can find that in the interviews from individuals, the more I feel like this is the person, like I said, taking everything else that I've learned to be the kind of person I want in this team. I've had leaders who've interviewed people and I ask them, so how did the interview go? And they're like, Oh, it was great. I'm like. What did you find out? It's like, they're good. You know, usually when they said, and then, so you basically talk 80% of the time about yourself. Okay, great. Whereas I want my interviews to be them talking 80% of the time and me talking 20% and just asking a lot of questions and listening and listening. And I said, interviews are also fantastic because it's really one of the few times that you have to be fully focused on an individual and you're looking at their body language, you're looking at their style, you're looking at their resume, you're trying to construct a story, which is why I think in that that moment, it's, it's a lot about, making and deciding to hire someone who knows what their development areas are means they're highly aware. It means they know what they're working on and they're aware of it. That gives you a leg up because someone who's not aware of their skip of their gaps is someone I don't want on my team. And I can tell you that I, and I've interviewed highly experienced individuals who in the interview process literally tell me that they have no development areas, (laughs) which to me is like hmm, red flag, you know, we're not, we're not doing this because everyone has a development area. I often have that phrase, you know, weakness can be coached to average, but greatness can be coached to the moon.
1: That's great. And I'm curious, interviewees get very nervous when they hear the question, what's your biggest weakness? So, what is a way for interviewers to get at what candidates' gaps are without making them freeze up?
0: So, I think it's two ways. One is I actually never ask the question, what is your weakness, right? Because I do think it's it's a highly volatile and, you know, people prepare for that. It's in every single interview. And people have sometimes really, I would say, trite answers they are like, you know, that's not an answer, right? Like, you can't be perfect. Like, being a perfectionist is not a weakness. I mean, to some degree it is. I think what I try to do is I try to get to that answer in, in many more different ways whether it's trying to understand, you know, when did you make a mistake? I'm trying to understand like, hey, what did you learn from that situation? It shows a little bit more about, you know, can they connect the dots between what they did, what happened? And also what was their role in it? That to me is a more nuanced way of getting to what is their development area or are they aware of what the development areas are? That's why I also want to make sure that I give people the shot to say like, do they understand themselves? Because if they don't, sometimes it's not because they don't know it, it's that people haven't taken the time. And this is why I say working for leaders, following leaders versus logos is an important thing. Because it's the best way for you to learn as an individual. It's the best way for you to internalize those opportunities. And also, those are the stories that then, as you move forward in your career, you're able to share those seminal moments when you learn something about yourself that you didn't realize. I have met a ton of amazing people when I interview for different roles for, like for, my, role, for my company. But I can tell you that I often say, I think you're amazing, but you're not going to be a fit for this company. And what I mean by that is whether their style or their approach is just not going to work. And I think that's a big, big part that where that culture fit comes in is that is their style, is their approach, is their way of thinking, is that going to gel well with the rest of the company and the culture that we've set? And if it doesn't, I want to make sure that people also understand that it's not about you necessarily. It's just, I don't think you're going to be successful here. Like if I was at a different company and I was interviewing you, I might hire you based on what I know about the other company. But the where I'm at, especially for executive recruiting, it really is more about that match because there's a ton of amazing people and I'm really not just looking for people who I think are really intelligent, you know, well accomplished, but also people who are going to fit, like I said, and succeed within the culture that we have.
1: That seems like such a fine line between being able to elevate a team and being able to fit in. How do you figure out which side of that line a candidate falls on?
0: I think that's where it's not just my decision, right? I think that's where the panel approach comes in. I think that's where asking their references. I think that's where also getting a good understanding and, and having people, by the way, who one approach we have is at Poshmark, when we interview people, we obviously have different people from different parts of the company, interview, not just from the team. That way you can get different lenses of an individual. And I think that's where I wish more people were better interviewers. I wish more people reflected more on interviewees that they hired. You know, whenever you have an employee that has to get managed, out, I always ask, but what what in the interview process did we miss? Because then the more you can encapsulate that, remind yourself, the better you become as an interviewer and the better you become as a, as, a, as a talent scout for your team.
1: I want to go back to candidates who might not have had the coaching necessary to perform really well on interviews. Have you ever taken a chance on a candidate who you could tell instantly just never had that coaching?
0: There was a candidate once I hired, and if you looked at this person's background, Amazing. I knew exactly what the issue was going to be. And I already knew that this, I had this idea that this person probably hadn't gotten coached. Sure enough, you know, 60 days into hiring, everything that I thought was going to happen did happen. And I ended up giving this person all this feedback. And this person said, oh, I've never gotten that feedback before. I was like, I figured. But, but I said, I'm giving it to you now. And you would not believe what a 180 degree change there was the next week. It just showed me that this person, for all their talent, was really undernourished as, as, as an individual in terms of leadership coaching, that people probably leverage this person for their skills, but didn't really take the time to make develop them as a human being. And I wanted to take a chance on that person. I knew what I was getting. And literally, I could be like, yep, exactly. I went back to my notes. It's like, yeah, that's what I thought the issue was. Yep. No, here it is. But I thought that it was an area that I could coach this person and that if I could impact them and tell them how to be a better leader. And that's why... It's so hard when you think about just talent management and you know performance. I know there's so many companies right now who are trying to do this in an automated, more algorithmic way, more real time, so that we don't leave people's career development in the hands of individuals who might be too busy, who might be who might have difficulty having difficult conversations, or who are also just not as invested. And so that that is a shame, and that's why I often I tell these people, it's like. If you can find a really great leader to work for that is worth its weight in gold versus even a company brand name sometimes, because it's important to think through that depending where you are in your career.
1: So it's Pride Month and you're a proud member of the LGBT community. What responsibilities and privileges do you think you have as a leader who's out?
0: As someone who 10 years ago did not think I could ever be in a role of a chief marketing officer of a publicly traded company. I can tell you that I am so immensely grateful for the leaders that have taken a bet on me, who have coached me, who have helped me. I remember you know, when I was at American Express, which I, by the way, has an amazing LGBT open culture. The one thing that I kept thinking is maybe I might be a VP one day. That wouldn't be such a bad thing. And the thought of being at a level I'm at right now was not even the consideration because I didn't see people like myself at that level. And then, you know, everything changed when Tim Cook came out and I I was just floored. I was like, Oh my gosh, here's someone who is an out and proud CEO of like the most amazing company in the world. And it told me that I could do more and that I could achieve more. And it really opened up my mindset that I didn't have to limit myself. And I think sometimes for all of us who are, like I said, sometimes from underrepresented groups, even though we know that the worlds are oyster, we oftentimes just feel that there are limitations that we, there are structural limitations that we can't overcome. It's really important to think about two things. One of which is visibility, and that I want to play the role that Tim Cook played for me in so Shaker. No Tim Cook in any way, imagination, but that if I could share my story and my journey with people about where I came from and, and how I got to where I'm at. That I could inspire others, I think would be important. And then two is to also be vulnerable and to share like the path that I've been on. But that was not an easy path by any stretch of imagination. It might look like I've gone to all the right schools, I've done all the right jobs, but there was a lot of pain that isn't seen You know, through that journey. There's a lot of moments of self-doubt, a lot of moments of leaders who lied to me, as well as leaders who believed in me. And it's, sometimes it's important to think through that journey. Because I often say that I learned leadership from my best bosses and management from my worst bosses. If I could play the role of being visible and vulnerable to others, I think that I feel like I will have done my job to help others and get inspired. And it really takes a lot of bravery to I know, to share my story and even the path that I've been on. I sometimes wonder, like, I'm not even supposed to be here. What I mean by that is, I grew up in an inner city high school with a single parent living in a one bedroom apartment with my mother and my sister. It's something that you don't even think about at that time that you could be in a certain level, it's but it's hard. Cause you know, you never know. You, you start to think about that doubt when you were a kid and you were in high school and I know it's important, but that's why I said for me to be visible and vulnerable to people and to share with them that it's a long journey, it's not easy. And that the more that you can believe in yourself and find people to, that believe in you and work for them, that ultimately is what matters in the end, right? Having people who believe in your opportunity and your, your capability and also having people who really, really want to see you succeed. I think that's above everything else. I think uh, above making money, above having career achievement, it, nothing is more fulfilling than having a leader whose belief in you you actualize based on projects you worked on, achievements you've made. And it's just, I always think those are the moments that are the most memorable to me, right? I don't I don't think about my ratings for my jobs. I don't think about, you know, I don't remember the salary raises. I remember those projects where someone was like, you did an amazing job, but great job. Keep keep doing more of that. to me, at a more micro level is how I want to impact people and, and to make them believe that they can do more than they really can, because that's what's driven me as an individual.
1: Thank you for being so authentic and vulnerable with us. You are definitely being the Tim Cook for someone right now, so we appreciate that. And now I wonder, do you think that this shift, perhaps permanently, to remote or at least hybrid work is going to impact those underrepresented groups? How do you think that being in a hybrid workplace or as a remote worker will impact diversity and inclusion?
0: So I have a slightly more counter thought on this, and it's not that I haven't fully formed it yet. One, I think hybrid work is going to be really, really messy. (laughs) I think for the next year and a half, I think everyone could agree this is not going to be a very clean solution because sometimes, depending on how companies set up the process, hybrid work can actually also disproportionately, in my perspective, impact people who May not get as much FaceTime should they choose to be remote, may not be in the office and have a loss of opportunity because people are thinking that they've chosen to, to remain remote at work. And so I, I do think that just from a, a situation standpoint, hybrid is going to be messy. That to me is the positive side of remote hybrid work, that it will provide more opportunities to get different talent that may not be in your area but are still really great candidates that can impact your company. But at the same time, I do think that it also is going to create a very, like I guess, said, messy structure about how to think about performance, visibility, project assignment based on people's commitments. And I, no matter what we believe, we're all human beings and that we, we react to what's in front of us. So I want to make sure that hopefully as companies also develop these policies, that it does help and diversify the workforce that doesn't also demotivate. And unfortunately, negatively impact those who choose to actually be remote because either from a life reason, a family reason, or whatnot.
1: That sounds like an accurate estimation of what we're all about to go through. (laughs) So thank you for looking into your crystal ball for us. And Stephen, just a huge thank you for being on the Talent Economy podcast with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And I guess being able to share these stories and my thoughts for me is really, really important. And Thank you for giving this opportunity for me and to be able to also share my journey into Poshmark, which, like I said, it's a company I love on, on so many levels and, and, and I'm fortunate. And I hope that others can be inspired by the stories as well.
1: Thank you for listening to the talent economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodgis. You can find much more information about the talent economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.